Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. We have been in a series this, this month talking about sanctification, and it's this big theological word uh, that really is just about understanding what God's plan for fulfillment is in our lives. What does God's vision for our fulfillment look like? And we talked about, we have to start this conversation with who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian community that is in, in, is experiencing in, in, in this self-giving mutual love within God's self. It's three persons, but one God. And, and God decides, well, I don't need creation. I don't need any of this, but I, I want creation. I want people to be brought into that experience of, of God's love within the Trinity. So that was week one. And we found that Jesus is saying in earlier in John, from the passage we're going to read, that God will come and live and make God's home in each one who follows Jesus, which is amazing. The very presence of divine love living in you. And we talked last week about what is the need we have for sanctification. Why does this matter to me that I want this holy presence living in me? And it's the result of this fractured world, this broken world due to sin, due to rebellion. And that sin just gets into everything. Remember, we talked about glitter. And now just glitter gets into everything and you never get rid of it, it seems like. But thanks be to God, God has made a way. And we talked about bringing Uh, our sin into the light and confessing sin and confessing brokenness and our need for that restoration and that forgiveness and that and that healing that only God can give us and that's part of that sanctification journey and so today um, just uh, for a little bit I want to talk to you about the, the one who, who does this sanctification work in us, the source of our sanctification, where our sanctification comes from. And I love that last song we sang, what a beautiful name, because our sanctification flows from Jesus. If we are going to become holy and come into this, remember sanctification literally means to be set apart from sin. That's not our nature anymore. And we're being made holy. We're being made like God in all of his goodness and justice and love and kindness and and all of who God is. And and so we're being brought into that and shaped into that as we follow Jesus. And and the very source, the, the way that we become sanctified is through Jesus himself. Jesus is God's son. God is is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is fully God, but what's amazing is God the son became fully human. So Jesus is both fully God and fully human, the only one, and this really, I don't even understand how that works totally, but uh, theologians don't even understand how this works totally, but somehow it works, and God is in Jesus, is Jesus, and humanity is Jesus, and, and this God, human, in Jesus does this saving work through life, through death, through resurrection, and now Jesus is the one who provides and is our source for this fulfillment and this holy life 
of sanctification that we've been talking about. To become like God basically is a process of becoming like Jesus. That's the call of sanctification, to become holy like God is holy, and it is through Jesus that we get there. So I love that we sang that song because it just sums up the reality, this this mind-blowing thing that happened in history, that God entered history and became human and completely, uh, one one, uh, theologian said basically, like it disrupted the space-time continuum. Like, it it just shattered our framework for everything. God entering into this this time frame and this history. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But here's how I want to frame what it means to live from the source of Jesus as our sanctification. Um, So I want to tell you just this little history lesson. In the 1800s, there were European winemakers, particularly in France, in their vineyards, um, they... Uh, decided to test some new varieties of grapes from North America and, and brought them into France in particular uh, to see what kind of new wine they could get out of this, and they wanted to just experiment with it. What they didn't know, they also imported were these tiny little aphids that European uh, grape vines and vineyards did not have an immunity to. And unlike the North American varieties. And so uh, what happened in the 1800s, it's known as the Great uh, Blight, the Great Wine uh, Vine Vineyard Blight or something like that. And basically, almost the entire European wine industry was wiped out in the 1800s. Uh, it, it, was, it was pretty serious, and it, it suffered for about two decades, about 20 years. There was little to no uh, grapes being produced. This had, like, global economic impact. There, was, there were riots. It was a, a massive mess. It had a huge implication. People were, you know, going bankrupt. This was a serious, serious problem for people's livelihoods. And so what they ended up doing is they took North American grapevine rootstock and they grafted it into their European grapevines in their vineyards in Europe. And it saved the grapes because the the North American rootstock is immune to these aphids. And so... It saved the entire industry. They recovered over the years, especially in in France, and, and, and this process completely saved it from decimation. And I wanted to present this idea because these grape vines were grafted to a new vine and it preserved them and made them fruitful again. And that's how I want you to think about the saving work, the sanctifying work of Jesus as our source. When we are marred and stuck in the brokenness of sin, our old nature, it's as if we're grafted to a sick grapevine, one that cannot deal with the pain, the suffering, the brokenness, the, uh, the decay of the sinful world and in our life. But what happens, and we see this, the Apostle Paul even talks about this, and in Romans, you are grafted into Jesus and his family, and you actually become part of a new rootstock, if you will. And so the things that used to affect you, used to be problems, this is the picture of sanctification, are now not affecting you. You're walking out a different nature because you've been grafted into this new vine. 
And this is the, the picture that we get from this scripture that we're going to read in just a moment. It's the reality that just like these European grapevines got a new source that helped them live and be fruitful again, Jesus is our source that we need to be grafted into and remain connected to in order to walk out our sanctification. So this is really taking us to remember our key verse that we've been using this entire series from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul is blessing this church saying, may, you, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly and completely. And then he says this, may your spirit and soul and body, this is just a way of saying your whole self, be kept complete, blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The entire journey, Paul's saying, of becoming sanctified is fixated on Jesus as our source. Jesus has sanctified us. He's our source for our continuing, ongoing sanctification. And Jesus is the one who we are looking towards, looking for his return at the completion of history when our sanctification will be complete. We will be fulfilled and made new, complete, and whole in the way we were always created to be. And so we are looking to Jesus as the source of our sanctification. But my challenge with this, and your challenge with this, if you're a human being, which I'm pretty sure most of you are human. AI isn't that advanced yet. That was supposed to be a joke. That's okay. You don't have, you don't have to laugh. You don't have to laugh. Don't, don't, don't try and fake like you, you thought that was funny. It's fine. Anyway, but our, our challenge, since we're human, is that we often find it very easy to find our source in other things besides Jesus. The thing that's going to drive us, the thing that we're going to fix our identity in. Uh, we try and find our source, our identity in our work, our career, our ambition, our relationships, family, kids, hobbies, uh, just being whatever makes you happy in that particular moment, making money, any other kind of meaning-making thing we can come up with. Even sometimes we get a false sense of identity by focusing on Christianity instead of Christ. The same thing can happen. And there's a sense that we're constantly in our culture pulled towards some new, alluring, shiny option that we want to be our source or we want it to medicate the pain or distract us from what's bothering us in our lives or the things that we're not quite getting over. Sometimes work can become uh, workaholism and it becomes something that we use to distract us and blind us from the undealt with issues in life. Sometimes alcohol becomes alcoholism because we use it to distract us from the pain in life. Sometimes other things, shopping, uh, exercise, all kinds of things can become distractions. Our phones are giant distraction machines. Anyone know how distracting your phone is? You go to do one thing and you're like, what happened to four hours? <laughs> you know, I know. Silicon Valley executives this is a whole side thing. They don't let their kids have any kind of screens. Did you know that? They're like, ooh, you let your kids use screens? You know what we do with those when we program them, right? We program those for distraction. This is a whole thing in Silicon Valley. Uh, it's like not cool to let your kids have any kind of smart device because they know what they're programming them to do. That's a whole side thing. We, we live in a world of distraction distracting us from our source, distracting us from what's real, distracting us from true fulfillment to just get a quick fix or a quick hit, whatever 
easiest, please, will you just give that to me so I can move on with my day? But when we make Jesus our source, we live a life that's full and fruitful. When we make Jesus our source, we begin the not quick, but the slow, deep journey of transformation towards real and true fruitfulness. We, I don't want to see all of you come into church on Sunday just for a holy pick-me-up. I don't, I don't want to see you all, uh, you know, you know what, I'm just feeling down. Let me just put on the, the worship music for a couple minutes and then I'll feel better. This is not like another drug that we turn to. This is a call to, to holiness, a call to a completely other way of life that is totally fixated on the source that is Jesus. And so really simply today, I, I want to talk to you about the source that is Jesus, the one that makes life full and fruitful. And then talk to you about two realities that set in for us when we begin to make Jesus our source. So let's look at this scripture, John 15, verses 1 through 4. I want to read this and then pray for us, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little more about the context here. It says this in John 15. Jesus is speaking in, with his disciples. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Let's pray. Jesus, we need a fresh understanding that you are our source this morning. We all need it. That you are Lord of all, that you are Lord of this world, that you are already reigning. And Jesus, I just pray that we wouldn't be caught up in the illusions of distraction of the day-to-day, -day, but we would go deep, that we would connect to the rootstock that we were always meant to be connected to. And that we would sense the Spirit this morning, your divine presence at work in us, living in us, calling us to be connected to you and find our source in you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to provide us with a little bit of context in John 15. Uh, very unlike our world that is distracted, surfacy, quick. What's the next thing I can turn to to find a little bit of enjoyment? Uh, we here have in front of us a picture of an agricultural society. I don't know how many of you spent any time on a farm or around a lot of agriculture in your time. Uh, maybe some folks, if you grew up in some parts of Warwick, for example, where there's a lot of farming and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but when you plant something in the ground, it isn't there the next day ready for you to eat. It's really slow. It takes a long time. 
it takes a lot of tender care and cultivation. Now, we need kind of like a lot of explaining to get that into our head and let that really sink in because I can go on my phone right now and I can have, you know, a, a box of, I don't know, something really random. Can't even think. I can have a box of Brussels sprouts and Tupperware delivered to my house by 2 p.m. this afternoon on the Amazon app. We don't understand what it looks to take time and go slow and all of these things. We are wired for speed and quick. And so, yes, instant gratification is a great way to put it. And, and so we have to understand the context. Jesus is describing this in a context where they're like, duh. Like, of course, if you cut the grapes branch off from the vine, there's not going to be grapes coming from it. And I know we know that, but like we really have to like stop for a second and think about the time and the cultivation and the energy that goes in to caring for things in an agricultural society. When I was um, over in, in uh, Israel last time, like, I don't know, Israel and Palestine, like five, six, seven years ago, um, uh, we went to uh, see some uh, uh, olive trees from uh, some Palestinian Christians that we know there. And it was their family olive trees. And these olive trees are over a thousand years old. Their family has been cultivating these trees for thousands of years. Not thousands going all the way back to to Jesus' time. The Romans burned all those down. Uh, But new ones have been slowly, and these look so ancient, and they're not even 2,000 years old, but they look like, but they're so old and like you get to like go right up to them and like touch them and they're like oh these are so old and and they're so, it's some of the best olive oil actually in the world it comes from these these trees they are so old but man that didn't happen overnight it was thousands of years of cultivation so these agricultural societies They understand, really, they have a very natural, innate sense of what Jesus is about to say to them when it talks about being connected to him as the source. They understand that that rootstock and that vine is so significant and important if you're going to get good fruit on the branches. We need to understand that those branches need to be well cared for if we're going to get good fruit from them. So this is pretty simple in one sense, but something that we need to kind of come back to again and again as we're thinking about Jesus' words here to just remember how simple and yet how important it is that we remain connected to Jesus. Because when, when, when we see that Jesus is our source, one of the first things that starts to happen is that we begin to remain in him. When we see Jesus as our source, we remain in him. Just like a branch connected to a grapevine. In verse 4, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Remember, this is in the the context that we read a couple of weeks ago where he says, I and my Father will come and make our home in you. The divine presence of God, the holy God is living in you. And he says, so remain in me. And I will remain in you. And then he says this, a branch cannot produce fruit if it gets severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. This word remain, uh, the Greek word has to do with uh, abiding 
staying, residing, living, lingering, meaning like you literally cannot have this be a quick thing. This is not just a, hey, checking in with you, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to, I got. This is a, a learning how to live a life that is oriented around lingering and abiding and residing in connection with Jesus. If he is our source, it requires a reorientation of our behavior on a day-to-day basis in order to remain connected. We have to put ourselves in a posture of remaining through various kinds of practices. Practice is a, a word that's been used throughout church history to describe different kinds of behaviors, different kinds of postures, different kinds of things we do to practice the presence of God. And the word practice is really important, I think, even in our context today, because how many of you have to practice something over and over to do it even like remotely well? And this is why we learn how to, we're called to practice the presence of God, practice remaining in him, because we do not do it very well. It's practice, but it's also a little scary when you think about doctors practicing medicine. It's the same use of the word, and it maybe, you know, just puts it in perspective a little bit. But we're, we're called to different practices as Christians that help us remain, help us to have a behavior and an orientation around Jesus and his presence. So I just want to give you a few. These are very, very practical things that help us remain in Jesus. The first one being silence and solitude. This is about spending time in silence with Jesus, just being present with him. Just saying, Lord Jesus, I'm here. This is a, a big thing that we practice in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. So if you needed a little more of a plug for that this morning, you can, you can jump on that. I love um, one uh, interviewer, news journalist, who interviewed Mother Teresa once and, and asked her, like, when you talk to God in prayer, what do you pray about? And, and, and she's like, oh, I don't talk, I just listen. Like, Journalist is getting really excited. Oh, so what does God say when you listen? And, and she says, oh, he doesn't talk. He just listens. And then the journalist was confused and walked away. But, but her point was, is that there's something about being with Jesus where you don't have to say anything. You just want to share the space with them. You think about someone that you highly respect, that you value their wisdom, their insight, and you're just like, can I just like hang around? Like, I don't really know what to ask you about. I just kind of want to be around you. Do you have anyone like that in your life where you're just like, I would love to just be a fly on the wall for a day or maybe just like sit and have coffee and like maybe if something comes up, I'll, talk, I'll ask them a question. But like, I really just want to like be around them. I think they're amazing. That's, that's what Jesus, being present with Jesus in silence and solitude is. It's just being with him and opening ourselves up to his love, his holiness. And what you'll find in this space is often uh, we're so stirred up and we're so busy uh, that we don't realize that when we slow down regularly and let the dust settle, that stuff kind of rises to the surface. That's very uncomfortable. Some of you who've taken emotionally healthy spirituality know what I'm talking about or practice silence and solitude. You start to get really anxious or like nervous or feel for you. are like, prayer's horrible. I'm never doing this again. I'm just gonna talk to God because then none of those feelings come up. Yeah, because you don't have to pay attention to what's happening inside of you. But what, what silence and stillness does is it draws us to God. But I really think some of what prayer and silence does is it allows God to draw out of our soul the ache 
the pain, the things that are left untouched, that they can be wholly sanctified. And I've had moments where I'm just like, why am I so nervous right now? Or why do I feel so on edge and feel so distracted? Other times where I'm like, don't feel anything. Sometimes I have to journal those thoughts and I realize that, that sometimes I have this emotion because I'm really afraid about something coming up or, or I've got this, this concern that someone won't like me. Maybe sometimes it's connected to, oh, I've had so-and-so in my past say this and it really stung me and I don't think I ever really dealt with that hurt or that pain. And it begins to change my perception as Jesus speaks to these things in my life but we won't get there unless we're still and silent in prayer in his presence. Another way we can be and remain with Jesus is in scripture. I love the imagery of Psalm 1 because it's describing a person who's in the scripture and the way it describes them is being like a tree that has a root system going down to a riverbed just soaking up the water. That's what it's like to be in scripture, Psalm 1 says. It's, it's literally like another version of being connected to the vine. You see, when we read scripture, we're not reading dead words on a page. We're not a, trying to get our, our theology uh, bullet points in the right order. What we're doing when we read scripture is meeting the author of scripture. We're meeting the one who speaks to us through these words, especially when we're reading in the Gospels. But all of Scripture, Paul says, is useful for teaching and correcting and encouragement and all these different things. And so we need the Scripture. It helps us get into God's thinking and God's worldview. And you'll be amazed. You could read the same passage of Scripture time after time over years, and every time it hits you with something new. And so that is a way that God speaks to us. It says that, the Bible says that scripture is God-breathed. It's got the breath of God on it. Meaning when you read it, man, there's something to soak up in your life that keeps you connected to the vine. It helps you walk out holiness in a new way. Uh, My dad always said when he preached that the Bible and Jesus are equal opportunity offenders. No one escapes from being offended by something in Scripture. doesn't matter if you're conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat. No matter what your theology or your worldview or your tendencies are, there's something in here that will bother you. And, and to me, that's something about Jesus is that doesn't mean he's in the center. He's wholly other and completely different, and he's calling humanity back into that. And the Scriptures help illuminate that for every single one of us. Um, another way that we remain in Jesus, those are very individualistic, can, can be individualistic practices. Uh, they're not really meant to be. Uh, but these are very, very clearly involve other people but help us remain in Jesus. Being with the least of these, the poor, the suffering, children. Jesus mentions all these groups of people specifically, and he says, when you help them, it's as if you have helped me. And he tells a story about them saying, Lord, when were you tired and we gave you a place to sleep? When were you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? And Jesus says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. The, the, uh, the early church described uh, taking care of the poor as a sacrament in which you actually encountered the presence of Jesus as you cared for the poor as you had face-to-face interaction with them. There was an encounter with God happening in that space. And so we need these practices to help us remain connected to Jesus. And then finally, one final practical practice for us to remain is sharing life around the table. Uh, You call it table life or whatever. It's, It's a form of taking communion together around a meal. 
Um, this is like so universal in so many cultures. I mean, you even see this on modern day uh, TV shows about food. Like, oh, food brings people together. Food brings people together. One of my professors uh, says that the world longs for Eucharist. Eucharist is the, the, the ancient term to describe taking communion, the Lord's Supper. And, and it's this bringing together of people around a table where all are made one, all are, are unified, and all are seated under Jesus at the foot of the cross. No one's better than anyone else. No one's worse than anyone else. The table's the great leveler. You can have a meal with anyone, and it's profound and powerful because this is what Jesus leaves us. In addition to baptism, this is what Jesus leaves us as something for us to practice. And so all through the early church, they're just, anyone who's coming to the table, they're inviting them to the table of the Lord as equals. There's something really profound that happens at a table too because there's mutual submission that happens. I remember being, our, our life group, we always try and eat a meal around a table. And it's really important for us. And I tell people, they get annoyed with me sometimes. I'm not calling anyone out, but you know who you are. Uh, like, I'm like, come on, guys, sit around the table. Like, come on, get around. There's a real purpose to sitting around the table together because we're all in an equal space and on equal terms around that table. I've, I've confessed to people around that table my own issues going on. I'm not better than anyone or like, oh, I'm just there for other people. We all need each other around the table, Yeah. There's such a problem in many churches these days uh, about abusive leadership. And I wonder how much could be helped by encountering Jesus in mutual submission around a table. So these are practices that help us remain in Jesus' presence. These are practices that have been used throughout church history to remain close to Jesus and to be with him. And they help us hear him and be with Jesus. I just want to just say this one thing before we move on to the, the, the second aspect of, of Jesus being our source uh, with remaining in him. These practices, I want to be clear, do not sanctify us. The practice itself does not make you holy. It is not a checklist for you to do, wow, look at me. I did great sanctifying myself this week. It is encountering and paying attention to Jesus' presence as we put ourselves in that space. It is he that sanctifies us in that work. And so it's important that we don't just go through the motions, but that as we're in the process of doing it, we are paying attention to Jesus being present in that space. Are you with me on that? So this is important. We need to, if we're going to uh, encounter Jesus as our source, if he is our source, then we will remain in him. And second, and finally, because Jesus is our source, we can trust in him. Verse two, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. So if Jesus is our source, that all other things in life and all other things in life are not, then that means we need to learn how to entrust Jesus with all the other things. And if pruning happens, we need to trust that he knows best. And his goal is not to make us miserable. His goal is to make us more fruitful. Just for the sake of time, I want to shorten this, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, there's a picture, Faith, I know, or that, that picture, thank you. So this is what a grapevine looks like before it gets pruned over on that right-hand side. Do you know grapevines, I found this out, they can grow to be like 115 feet tall. 
They never grow more than 10 to 12 feet, though. You know why? Sunlight's part of it, yep. And then the other part is, is just because, look, the fruit's not very good. Maximum fruitfulness happens in this, like, 10 to 12-foot range for most varieties of, of vine grapes. And what's more, when, when the dry, arid, no-rain years come, some people think, oh, my gosh, they're going to have a terrible grape harvest because there's been no rain. Wine makers love it. They like the best vintages are when it's been a dry season because the roots go even deeper to find the water. And the deeper that root system, the richer kind of minerals get drawn up and it enhances the flavor of those grapes. So this is, this is all kind of understood in the context of Jesus' audience, of his disciples when he, when he says this. But, but for us, we don't quite grasp the gravity of that. What Jesus is saying is, I know it feels painful for this to get snipped out of your life. I know your season in life feels really dry right now. But I want you to know that the, the vineyard owner, the gardener, the father, is actually using this to produce a fruitfulness in your life that you cannot even comprehend. See, I don't know if you're like me, you would like to avoid pain and avoid the dry seasons. Thank you very much. Pain? No, thank you. Un discomfort? Dealing with, like we were talking about earlier, dealing with that stuff that comes up in silence and solitude? Hard pass. I don't want to feel more anxious about my life. I want to feel less anxious. Jesus, help me. And sometimes Jesus, help me, means you get more anxious because he's like, you need to pay attention to what's there and deal with it. You don't always get a, oh, let me just make this feel better now. That's, what, that's us thinking. That's not how God thinks. God's thinking, man, I got to draw the poison out of your life. This is killing you and you don't see it. There's so much fruitfulness for you, but you've got to get a little cut here. And we're thinking, okay, we're down from 115 feet to like 90 feet. That's enough. I'm going to cut even more. 75 feet tall is fine, God. This must be all the pruning you need to do in my life, right? I'm going to cut that a little more. God, I'm only like 40 feet tall here. It just feels like you're destroying me. Let's cut it down to 25 feet. Are you kidding me, God? My life's a mess. Fifteen feet. That has to be enough now, God. I'm tired. I'm weary. Everything feels like it's being stripped away. Just a little bit more. Ten feet. Perfect. fruit that comes with heavy pruning. The fruit that comes from seasons where your roots need to go really, really deep to find water. I want to be clear. A lot of times God doesn't bring the pain into your life, but wow, he redeems it. If you stay connected to him.
I want you to just consider as we close here this morning how important this idea of remaining in Jesus and, and the second part, trusting in Jesus, how important this is to our sanctification journey. We, like if Jesus, if the gardener's gonna cut back that much that we think is like, wow, this is great. Look how tall I'm growing. He's like, nope, goal's not to get taller. The goal's more fruit. The goal is more fruit. You're like, don't you, didn't you take enough from me already? You see, you see, we have this idea about our sanctification that it was like, he's just gonna like do it. It's like, great, it's done. And there's a sense we talked about in this series that it's done, but there's a sense in which he's got to cut some more. Will you let him? Will you let him? Will you let him do the deep work that will bear unbelievable fruit? It requires a trust. It requires a trust that is so rare because we think we're so much smarter. I love... uh, Someone shared in our, our pre-service prayer time this morning. We just try and listen to what God's saying. And someone just had this word, this sense that God was saying to us, like, I, I know all the stuff going on in your life. And it was almost as if Jesus was just saying to us, kind of like, I know what's there. Like, can we just have some real talk? Like, I'm not put off. I'm not surprised. Like, I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're, like, into. Like, I know what's going on. Like, I'm, can we talk? when we let him come, when we open up ourselves to trust, when we say, I don't really have another option. I need you to be my source. Yeah, there's some pain. I'm not gonna lie. Following Jesus is painful and dangerous. You ready to sign up? I said, Christianity's got a bad PR game. Come suffer and die like our founder. But oh, the fruit Oh, the fruit that you will live in now and into Jesus' return. May you be kept completely blameless, body, soul, and spirit until the coming of our Lord Jesus. And he will make you finally whole. Question for us to consider as we prepare for communion. How might Jesus be inviting you this morning to remain in him or trust him with pruning in your life in a very practical way? I invite you just for a minute to be still. And I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to just give you some practical steps to take. You might know a specific thing. You might be like, I know I need some kind of tools. Um, I didn't necessarily plan this right before the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class starts, but you know, maybe you're thinking, that class might have some tools for me, and I need to set aside some time to do that. Talk to Megan after. We'd love to have you join us. We have a few more spots left. Maybe there's a, a practice of being around a table that you need to get into, a practice of being with the poor or with children that you need to take on. 
Maybe there's some things you've been resisting him cutting. Some things you wanted to hold on to. And he's just saying to you, it's time. So the fruit can grow. Let's just take a moment to be still before him before we take communion. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.